we're doing now, especially what we're doing tonight, I hope I can make you see it, has a lot to do with the subject we're going to be tackling next Sunday night. And so here's, here's the issue. Are the words of Scripture inspired or just the thoughts? The text I want to start with is John 17, verse 8. John 17, verse 8. For I, this is Jesus, for I have given them, that's the apostles, I have given them the words that you, that's Father God, as Jesus prays this. So I, Jesus, have given them, the apostles, the words that you, Father God, gave me. Okay, that's, that's the link there. And they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. <clears throat> Let me just do a real, real quick kind of overview. Which is uh, important to show the process of revelation. Because there's a process and there's a progression that unfolds in the scriptures. And we, we started off talking about the need for absolute truth. That was lesson one. Then we started talking about the Old Testament. And we established the canon of the Old Testament scriptures. The, the, the Hebrew scriptures, 24 books, beginning in Genesis, finishing in Chronicles, first and second in one book. And so the Hebrew scriptures, 24 books that contain exactly the same books as the 39 that we have ordered more chronologically from the Greek translation, the Septuagint of the Hebrew scriptures. And then we looked at Jesus' important words in Luke 9, 49 to 51. That's all online. And we saw that he limited the canon of the Hebrew Scriptures to only those 24 books. Not the apocryphal books. Those books. And then something very dramatic happened. The Messiah. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The Christ. God the Son. He comes on the scene. And he starts saying drastic things. He starts saying things like all those Hebrew scriptures, those 24 books. He said they were all about him. This rocked the world. They were all about him. He said it over and over. He, he said Abraham had longed to see his Jesus day. And then he started doing something else. He started putting his authority right alongside and sometimes even above those 24 Old Testament books written by those Hebrew prophets. He started saying things like he and he alone fulfilled or completed or fleshed out what those Old Testament books were all about. And so those first followers of Jesus, all Jewish, all raised in those 24 books, they found what Jesus said and what Jesus did very compelling. And then the story went further. Jesus told them he was going to use them, those apostles, to place his story of redemption into 
the canon of Scripture, new sacred texts. Well, there hadn't been any new sacred texts. They'd been forbidden. God was the one forbidding them. And so we see how the writings of the apostles were specifically called Scripture. We looked at that right alongside those 24 Old Testament books. Last week, we saw that the process was brought to completion. So we added the New Testament books, but we're not adding any more books. Why aren't we? Well, in really highly significant words, Jude 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so we have a completed revelation. The Old Testament looked forward to Christ. Christ said the texts were about him. Christ, by his spirit, enabled his apostles to record the New Testament. And so the church now has this permanently finished authoritative record. There's nothing left to add, nothing to edit, nothing to delete, nothing to supplement. We're not completing the scriptures. We're contending for what was once for all delivered. Fini, finished, done. That's where we've come in our studies. So now we need to look at, well, what's the nature of the inspiration given to the writers of the scriptures? What should we expect when the Holy Spirit inspires sacred text? How safe are we relying on our Bibles for a revelation from God? Like, in what sense is this God's Word? Everyone who's a member of Cedarview Community Church has signed a membership covenant. We really don't use the Joy of Belonging card anymore. We use the membership covenant covenant. It's on the tables at the back. But everyone who has joined the church, they sign. There's a statement of faith in there. And they sign on that they're committed to the truth that the Bible is, quotes, the inspired and infallible word of God. It's, it's quite a phrase. And so this boils down to a fundamental question. What's the nature of the inspiration of Scripture? Is inspiration, is that word used to describe the effect of the text on our hearts? Or is the text itself inspired? So is the Bible inspired even if no one reads it? If it just sits on your shelf? In other words, we're not asking if it's inspiring. Is it inspired even if nobody looks at it? Is the text inspired? Or is it only inspired when it comes to life in our hearts? And if the text itself is inspired, if that's what we're saying, then is it, is it the actual words of the text? The words of the original manuscripts? Is it the words that are inspired? Or is it just like the teaching, you know, the, the concept, the ideas that are God-given? The words are just sort of chosen randomly. 
That's what we're looking at tonight, okay? Okay, Pastor Don. Point number one. Like it or not, you have to do something with this. The unequivocal conviction of Jesus was that he gave his disciples God's words, plural. Words. Notice that very carefully in John 17, 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, plural. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now, as I'm hoping to show, as this all unpacks, on that truth, Jesus, God the Son, saying, I have given them the words you gave me, on that truth stands the whole fabric of revelation and doctrine and teaching for the church. All our teaching in all our churches, all our doctrines, all our practices stand on the fact that Jesus has given his apostles words, not just a word, not thoughts, not a philosophy. Jesus says... He gave the Father's words, nouns, verbs, prepositions, adjectives, adverbs, put into sentences, words, words that came from Father God himself. That's where we start. So, so the foundation of the Christian faith doesn't rest on our sort of best guesswork about the mind of God. He, Jesus didn't just come as a prophet declaring what he thought we needed to know about the creator of the universe. No. Jesus doesn't come on the scene hoping we get some teaching on the meaning of life. He tells his apostles plainly that the words that he gave to them, all the words of teaching, all the words of warning, all the words of promise, all the words of instruction, those words, in a sense, were not just his ideas. He gave the words chosen by God himself. God's, maybe we should stop calling it God's word and start calling it God's words. And so we start with this ground of certainty. We don't start with something subjective. I'm not talking about the effect of the Bible on me. Some people don't get anything out of this book. Some people aren't even interested in it. I'm not talking about the subjective side of it. We're starting with the words. So the message is secure and divine because the medium, the words, are secure and divine. Of course, there's a problem. If this foundation is so secure, I've given them the words, Jesus says. Well, it also seems very temporary. It seems temporary because Jesus didn't stay here on earth in his physical body. And if Jesus gave us the very words of Father God what happens to Revelation after his ascension, his departure. 
from the earthly presence of mankind because there were no New Testament documents written when Jesus ascended. When Jesus left, we didn't have anything written down. Nothing. So it's fine to say, Jesus says, I gave them the words. But then he leaves. And he didn't write a book. So surely we must be at a disadvantage today. I mean, perhaps, as the Bible seems to indicate, perhaps the apostles were given the very words of God. But, but we have no such privilege. I mean, Jesus, the one bearing these blessed words from Father God, he was long ascended by the time even the earliest New Testament documents were penned. So where do we go? Point number two. Now, this is one of those Horbin points. It should be short, but it's not. You have it there? Let's read it together. That way, it's, it's just that I want to know you're awake through the whole reading of this point. Okay, read. While Jesus was giving the apostles the very words of the Father... He made it plain that his revealing ministry would continue after he was ascended through the work of the Holy Spirit in his chosen apostles. So in other words, the very words of Father God, the ones Jesus shared, the words, they make it clear that Jesus' words, his speaking, the words that he gave them from Father God, that was just the beginning of the unfolding of doctrine and truth. And, and it's right at this point that we start to see something truly amazing happen. So in spite of the fact that Jesus had given those apostles the very words of Father God, they didn't grasp what he was saying very well. I don't know if you're comfortable looking at this, but it has a beautiful side to it. Our opening text was from the Gospel of John. And if you just look at the Gospel of John and start to put together just the statements where the disciples haven't got a clue what Jesus... Remember the words? He said, I've given them the words, the very words of God. Jesus is giving his disciples and over and over again, they don't know what he's talking about. Let me give you examples. John 14, 5. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? John 14, 8. Show us the Father... And it is enough for us. John 14, 22. How is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? John 16, 17. What is this that he says to us? A little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. And because I go to my Father. John 16, 18. Here. We do not know what he is talking about. Pastors have been comforting themselves for years when people leave church. And they say, I, I just don't understand what Pastor Don was preaching about. You say, yeah, see, Jesus had the same problem. We do not know what he's talking about. Well, why don't they? Are they just dense? No, that's not the problem. You get this muddled list of questions, confusion, now, remember, Jesus is giving them the actual words from God. Perfect revelation. And they still don't get what the words mean. 
Should we be told this? Should the gospel have included this? This ignorance on the part of the disciples? Yes, it's not a mistake. It's intentional. There's nothing wrong with their heads. And there's nothing wrong with the revelation they're getting from Jesus. Those are God's words. No, Jesus makes the meaning of all this very clear with his own explanation. It's not that his words weren't true. The words he gave them were the words from God. The process of revelation hasn't failed. But the words of Jesus while he was here on earth are just, are just the beginning of the New Testament revelation. They're not the end of it. They're just the beginning of it. So many events hadn't happened yet. So another phase is essential before they are going to fully understand. You, you see this described in like John 16, 4 and 5, and then verses 12, 13 and 14. Jesus, he, he speaks to the disciples and he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Ascension. 12 to 14. I still have many things to say to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That's now. But there's more coming. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I still have a lot of things to say to you. You're, you, can't, you, you can't possibly understand them. You're not ready for them. You can't bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to lead you into it. He's going to open your eyes to things. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. And here's this sentence. For he will take what is mine. I still have a lot of things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to take what's mine, and he's going to declare it to you. Will they understand it then? Yes, because it will be after the death of Jesus, after his resurrection, after his ascension, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the doctrine of the second coming started to make sense, when the doctrine of the atonement would be fully explained. They couldn't get that while Jesus was standing there talking to them. Remember, they're looking at him, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What? what? Later on, 1 Corinthians 11. I received this from the Lord. Here's what he's talking about. All of these events, the events still to come, would require a different kind of revelation. So, so the very nature of Jesus' work required his departure. He couldn't ascend to heaven to intercede at the Father's right hand if he remained bodily here on earth. I mean, no wonder Jesus said, John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So the Holy Spirit, notice, he's going to take what's Jesus and he's going to give them to the apostles after Jesus has already ascended into heaven. Three, 
Here we're, we're, we're doing well. You thought the second point was long. Point three, the whole New Testament bears uniform witness to the progress of revelation from the revealing work of Jesus in his words before his ascension. I've given them the words that you gave me. To the continuing revealing work of Jesus after his ascension through the work of the Holy Spirit in the words of the apostles. So, so in other words, the authority of revelation continues after Jesus is ascended. But the method is different. It's not the words coming out of Jesus' mouth. The method is changed. There's an unfolding of revelation in the whole New Testament canon. And when you, when you look for this truth, you'll see it over and over again. Look how the book of Acts opens. It's fascinating. In the first book, so Luke writes this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. How long did he do this? Well, until the day he was taken up, his ascension. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, Luke says his gospel, and in, in a lot of ways, it's the most uh, rigorously researched and detailed. It was just a record of what Jesus began to do and teach. So, what that means is the teaching ministry wasn't finished at the time of his death and resurrection and ascension. The teaching of Jesus wasn't done. Now in the book of Acts, after Jesus ascends, we see Jesus continuing to teach. That's why he says... Luke says in Acts 1, 1, and 2, I've dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach in the gospel up to his ascension. But there's more. Jesus is still continuing to teach. The authority is the same, but the method is different. Jesus would be at work in the words and deeds of his chosen apostles just as he said he would in John 16, 12 to 14. Do you notice... John 16, 12 to 14, where, where Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. So that's an interesting way of putting it. He doesn't say the apostles are going to have some interesting things to say to you. He doesn't even say in that text the Holy Spirit is going to come. It's interesting the way Jesus says, I still have a lot of teaching to do. But it's not teaching you can bear, you can't receive it right now. And that's why... Luke, as he opens the book of Acts, he says, I, I gave you all that Jesus began to do and teach. He is still teaching, only he's doing it through Peter, James, John. Jesus is still working, but he's doing it through the apostles. They heal the lame man on the way to the temple. Do you think we did it? It was Jesus, they say. I still have many things to say to you. So it's going to be the same Jesus speaking divine words, but it's going to be by the Spirit through the apostles. Same authority, different method. 
And so you see the, the continuity implied in Luke's carefully chosen words. The gospel contained what Jesus began to teach. Acts records what Jesus continued to teach. And we get it right through the epistles to the book of Revelation. Is the text we used this morning in the teaching this morning from Hebrews, Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first declared, or it was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. And you notice again the foundation, the message declared at first by the Lord. So he came and he, he pronounced the arrival of the fulfillment of the whole old covenant. He came with the words of the Father, but he wasn't the last one. Others would continue to speak the words of Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, the chain of revelation gets established. And it needed to be established in such a way that there would be revelation from Christ by his Spirit through the apostles to his finished work. We needed revelation about his finished work, and his finished work included things like his ascension. Jesus couldn't talk about it because he was gone. You have very few references to the ascension. There are some, but not many. Very cryptic references. The second coming. And so you get texts like You get texts like Galatians 1, 1 to 5, where Paul writes, and he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This takes you way beyond what Jesus said during his earthly ministry here on earth. That revelation from Christ would have never been possible before the ascension. Last text. The foundation that we have, so here, here you sit, and you've got a Bible, maybe you've got it on your iPad or your iPhone, and we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we've got all these, there's a lot of words, eh? Open up to any page you want, there's a lot of words, pretty small print, there's a lot of words on those pages. But, but we, don't get to, we don't get to sit on the, on the sand, on the shore of... Sea of Galilee and see Jesus in a boat a little ways out. We, we don't get to see his face and we don't get to hear his voice as he teaches the people. So, who's better off? Who's better off? The people sitting on the shore with Jesus standing in a boat 15 feet away teaching the crowds, are they better off? Or, you've got this, I've got this, are we better off with this? And the answer is B. 
though we don't treasure it like we should. We are much better off than all those people who, who, who I read you those quotes. These are from the, the disciples who followed Jesus the most closely. And they couldn't get their heads around his death, his resurrection, the ascension. They couldn't get their heads around any of it. How he revealed the Father, how he and the Father were one. They couldn't get their heads around that. So people who just saw him heal a blind person or a lame person, they didn't know what he was all about. They stood in awe. They loved him. He multiplied loaves and fish. They knew that. They never saw the picture that you and I have on these old pieces of paper with all sorts of words. We are better off. We are better off with the complete revelation of the New Testament. Well, that's your opinion, Pastor Don. No, it isn't. And this is the last text. 2 Peter 1, 17 to 21. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. Remember the mountain of transfiguration? They're there. Jesus is transfigured before them. They can't even look. It's bright. I can't even imagine. We would think of it as some sci-fi thing. Elijah, Moses are there. What an incredible moment. They never forgot it. Lord, let's build three tabernacles here. Tabernacles here. So, that's what he's talking about. Now, put your finger under verse 19. He says, we were there. This is what we saw. This is what we heard. We saw the smoke. We heard the voice. We saw Jesus. We were right there. We saw the whole thing. And we have something more sure. What? We, Peter writes to the church, we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It's not just spinning out the meaning of life or philosophy about God. Or For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says you're better off with this. How many of these do you have in your house? Are you reading it every day? Are you going to get through the Bible this year? Are you reading it? Are you up to date? Are you current? Because this book says, not Don Horbin, you don't need to worry about what Don Horbin says, but this book says, you're better off with this than having stood on the mount and seen Jesus transfigured in front of you. Why? How can that possibly be true? This. Everybody's got this. Because this will show you and answer things and explain things that they never got on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the whole revelation. It starts with Jesus saying, I've given them the words. That's to the apostles. And then it continues. Jesus is ascended. 
And he says he continues by his spirit to continue to reveal and teach through the apostles. And we get the story of the finished work of Christ, not just the beginning of it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the deal is to treasure it. Treasure it. Memorize it. Learn. Pray. Pray until you start to delight in it. In his law, he meditates day and night. It's like a tree. Let's pray together.